0: praise the lord good to see you i know that we are still missing a lot of people and uh that's to be expected uh, on normal uh, winters with weather and 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 just regular flu and regular sicknesses but you know with everything else going on with pandemic and and then people's uh, uh scared of the snow and because it never snows in west virginia ohio and pennsylvania it's a brand new concept so, uh, they, they just invented snow around here this year, so, and I say that every year, so, uh, but uh, good to have you. I'm, I'm glad that you chose to be with us today, and, and, and I know that this word is going to be a blessing because I've been milling over this for a while. I, I probably could have done three sermons out of this one sermon. So if you'll give me somewhere between seven and a half minutes and two hours, I will get this message out. Uh, this is week four of relevant faith. We're talking about the faith that it takes for us to operate from day to day. Oftentimes, especially in Pentecostal charismatic settings, we, we talk about faith, about raising the dead and curing cancer and all of that. And all of that has its place and, and relevance. But it doesn't do you any good if you can't stay saved from Sunday to Sunday. It doesn't do any good if your marriage is always on the rocks. It doesn't do any good if you don't have enough faith to get out of bed because you're so depressed and, and heartbroken and upset and anxious and worried. And so, so that's what we're, this series is about, relevant faith. It, it hits us right where we live. And it causes us to be challenged to do better. How many of you need to do better? And if your hand's not up now, we know how you need to do better. <laughs> you need to learn how to tell the truth in God's house. And <laughs> because, unless, or, or Jesus, thank you for showing up this morning. we're, we're glad that The only perfect person that doesn't need any help is him. So if your hand's not up, thank you for coming this morning, Jesus. Uh, so this morning I'm going I'm to ask you a question at the beginning of this message that is the title of this message. Have you lost your mind? My, 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 my title simply is that this morning. Have, have you lost your mind? It's the beginning of the new year. We're, we're about three weeks into a new year. So how many of you have done real well with the, with the resolutions that you made? How many of you have done terrible? And how many of you quit making because you don't like to be a liar and a Christian? Okay, I got you. So you gave up resolutions a long time ago. I got you. Okay. Seems like every year that there's these people that make these big grandiose claims and these plans to change. This is going to be my year, they say. And, and this year I'm going to eat right. This year I've decided that I'm going to lose all the weight. I've decided I'm going to eat better every day. And then you have one cookie. And some of you, and some of you are so disciplined, and and, and 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 if you eat one cookie, you're like that was nice, and you fold the package back up and you put it away. But where are my cousins and cousins-in-laws at? That you eat one cookie, you black out for 22 minutes, and when you come to yourself, you got an empty container and crumbs all over your chest. Anybody, anybody feel me this morning? Okay, so that that, that you got a container that used to have cookies. And a blown-up diet plan, and you're about three days into your diet. You understand what I'm talking about. There may not be a single subject that I have preached on in 25 years more than what I'm going to preach on this morning, the mind. There's probably not. I was trying to think for the past couple of weeks as I was working on this message, if there's any subject that I have preached on as much or even close to this subject, and I don't think that there is, I just can't get away from it. It's either worship or the mind. Those are the two things that I've preached on probably the most. And, and, and I can't get away from either one of those because I think, I, number one, I struggle with one of those, and the other one I just love so much. So uh, as we talk about the Bible, 2 Corinthians tells us that we need to take every thought Captive. That's, that's a pretty descriptive way to say that you need to get your mind right. And I cannot overestimate this enough. You can't have a positive life with a negative mind. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. Because those cookies that I mentioned are a perfect example of what happens to your mind. You eat one cookie and the Lord says, it's okay. Grace. Straighten up now. Stop what you're doing. I got you covered. The devil's talking to your mind saying, you done blew it. You ate one. You might as well eat them all. Am I the only one that has looked at a, a pack of donuts and said, well, I don't want them to go stale. I'm wasting money. Come on now. Don't, 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 don't you leave me hanging like I'm the only one. I I would look at a pack of donuts and say, well, if I don't eat them today, then I might as well just get all these calories out of the way and start over tomorrow. And that's exactly what happens to your mind, because the Lord is always trying to pull you in the right direction, and then you've got this other voice. And and this this other influence that's always trying to tell you, well, you blew it, you might as well just throw everything away because you messed up one time. And, and, and how, how many of you, when you were small, were scared of the dark? How many of you were still scared of the dark? Huh? How many ever thought that there was a monster in your room, and you cried and you screamed until mom came in and turned the light on, and then it was that pair of pants that she told you to put away earlier that day? Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, when I was a kid, I was scared of the dark because I thought vampires were under my bed. I had a mean older brother that used to tell me such things. And I thought vampires were under my bed, and I thought if I slept with the covers up, all the covers up. And remember, I lived in drafty houses without insulation and with old uh, uh, coal and and, and, and wood-burning stoves on the other floor. We were upstairs where it was always cold, and ice would freeze on the inside of the wall. So we had blankets and comforters and quilts, and I would have them all pulled up over my head because vampires couldn't bite me if they couldn't find me. And I would wake up in the middle of the night sweating through my clothes and all the way through the sheets, but I wasn't bit. I was sweaty, but I wasn't getting bit because I was afraid of the dark. But how many of you have realized as you've gotten older that the monsters move out from under your bed and move into your head? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. My, probably my favorite verse in all of Scripture as far as preaching is Romans 12 and 2. And no better place for me to begin this morning. I've probably preached this scripture more than any scripture uh, in the whole Bible. Do not conform, Paul says, to the pattern of this world. Listen, the pattern's broken. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Because if you keep doing it the way the world says to do it, you're always going to get the same results. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, the pattern of the world is broken. But be transformed, how? By the renewing, say it out loud, of your mind. Then, say then, after your mind gets transformed, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So look at your neighbor and ask him, have you lost your mind? You've been waiting a long time to get permission to say that. Some of y'all said that with a smile. Y'all are confident. Have you lost your mind? You've been. Some of y'all was neck popping and everything. Because if you haven't lost your mind, you need to. If you haven't, under the sound of my voice, or whether you're watching by live stream or in this room, if you haven't at this point lost your mind, I can promise you there's some stuff in there that you could afford to do without notice that this word says to be transformed by how making your mind new it didn't say be transformed by coming to church service because I'm glad you come to a church where the Word is preached. We are a Word-based church. As a matter of fact, uh, we have our uh, leadership meeting tonight where I'm going to be talking about the uh, the leadership. We're going to be making some changes because uh, we're going to start offering more Word. We're going to start getting back into the building and doing some extra services and things, things that used to be normal before everything shut down because we want to get more Word to you. We want, to, we want to, you to experience more of the Word. But coming to a Word-based church does not change your mind any more than going to McDonald's changes you into a Chicken McNugget. You have to learn how to change your mind based on what you learn from the Word. Just because you're walking out your salvation does not mean you are walking in freedom. You can go to church until Jesus comes, every service, every week, three or four times a week, and still be bound if you never learn how to change your mind and walk out your freedom. Another very familiar scripture is Philippians 4, 8, and 9. He says, Paul does, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Now look at your neighbor, the other neighbor, and say, Fix your thoughts. huh? See, that's a problem for a lot of us. Hello? That's a problem for a lot of us because some of us have fixed our countertops. Some of us have went to the dentist and fixed our smile. Some of us went to the salon and fixed our perm or our weave, however you roll. But we have yet to do the hard work of fixing our mind. Listen to what Paul says. Fix your thoughts. They're broke. They're jacked up. They need some repair. Your thoughts is where all your mess starts. It didn't start with somebody else. It didn't start with your upbringing. It didn't start because you were born under the wrong sign. Stop with all that foolishness. And Paul says, one final thing. He says, I've told you all of this. And now I'm going to tell you one thing before I get out of your hair. Fix your thoughts. And what do you fix them on? Things that are true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. And then listen to this last thought. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Excellent and worthy. Well, that eliminates most of social media. And all the news excellent and worthy of praise and then he tells us in verse 9 how to do it he doesn't just tell you to do it he tells you in verse 9 how to do it keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing then the God of peace say peace Then the God of peace will be with you. Look at what this scripture says. Look at it real difficult, real hard. If you've got a Bible, underline these two words, practice and peace. Practice and peace. Practice and peace go hand in hand. And the reason that so many of us are not living in the peace of God is because we're not putting into practice the ways of God. This is, I'm going to teach you something this morning. That word up there, learned, comes from a Greek word which means disciplined. And now I know why it's really, really hard to practice what I've learned because it requires discipline. And we don't like discipline. We don't like following rules. We don't like mending and bending ourselves to a format that we're not comfortable with. How many of you were raised back in the day when you got whoopings? now I didn't say punishment I didn't say mama put you in time out I'm not saying that you got scolded I'm not even saying you got whippings I'm talking about how many of y'all was raised like by a mama like mine, where you got whoopings. where where you where you had to go outside and procure your own element of torture my mama said go cut me a switch boy And I knew better than to come back with some little mealy bendable thing. I she wanted a tree branch. She wanted to leave her mark on my life. Somebody say amen. My mother was one of those what I call a convenient disciplinarian, which basically means she'd hit me with whatever was convenient. Whatever was within her reach was what she was going to use on me. Might be a shoe, could be a flip-flop, could 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 have been a fly swatter. Sometimes it was the TV guide. Does anybody remember the TV guide? My mom did the crossword puzzle every week in the back of the TV guide, and if I got too close to her, whack. Uh huh. She, she'd, she'd even use the neighbors to whip me. She'd yell across to Claudine and Nathan and say, Hey, if he's misbehaving over there, go ahead and wear him out, and I'll bust him later when he gets back home. And these kids today that yell at their parents, I was in Walmart in line the other day. Well, it's been a while now, but I was in line, you know, six feet back, and there was some boy in line yelling at his mama, not to her, not for her, but at her. I wanted to snatch that kid. I wanted to take him outside, tell him about himself and about how you only get one mama. And, 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 and Jesus says to take care of her and honor her, and if you don't know who Jesus is, you fit in to meet him, because, <laughs> cause, listen, when I was a kid, kids would just disappear if they backtalked their mamas. Like, we'd be standing in school one day, what happened to Timmy, uh-huh. I heard he backtalked his mama. <laughs> See, my mom used to threaten to backslap me in the next week Maybe that's what happened to Timmy. (laughs) But See, see discipline. Discipline. Hebrews 12 and 11 teaches us about discipline. And it says no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Somebody say amen. It's painful. Uh, But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So what I want you to know is that if you ever learn the disciplines of this book and start applying them to your life, you won't escape all the troubles of life. But look what it says. It says you'll experience a peaceful harvest of right living. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but in 2022, I could use a peaceful harvest. I've had a messed up harvest. I've had a jacked up harvest. I've had one that didn't taste good. I've had a couple of rotten harvests. And I could use a peaceful harvest right about now. Is that it? Hitting home with anybody else. But what happens to us is we begin thinking that the attack is coming from the outside, when really most of our problems come from the inside. How many of you in here know that you have some issues? If your hands down, that's your issue. Uh, some of us don't even know. That's why we blame everybody else. That's why we're always trying to put our, put our issues on somebody else's uh, problems. And, and, and we, get, we got relationship problems with everybody. I've known people that's had 17 jobs. It's always the boss's fault. They've been in 16 different career fields. It's always somebody else's fault. Got problems with everybody, but it's always somebody else's fault. But at some point, you've got to realize and recognize that what you're dealing with is inside of you. Because until you learn how to recognize that you're the problem, you'll never get rid of what you need to get rid of. That's why Paul said fix your thoughts. That's why Paul says you have to transform. Those are action words. Did you hear fix something, transform something? Those are words that doesn't just happen by osmosis because you sit in a church pew. It happens because you make up your mind. Enough of this. I'm going to change some things. let what Proverbs. Let me paint a picture for you. Proverbs 23 and 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think you are something inside of you, that's what you will become. I don't have time to go down this road, but parents, that's one reason, and I'll get into this in another sermon in this series, that's one reason why you got to be real careful what you say to your children. Because if you, you can plant a seed inside of them that will mess them up, because whatever they think they are is what they'll become. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12 and 34. He says, You brood of snakes... Hallelujah, goodbye. Uh, Oh, there's more to that scripture. You brood of snakes? How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So a lot of us give our lives to the Lord and we join the church and we get pretty good at behavior modification, which means we're just trying to control our impulses. But the problem is we still have the impulse. Oh, I knew it was going to get quiet in here because in Pentecostal realms, especially in the old classical Pentecostal churches like I grew up in, I wasn't allowed to dress like this because you know that was worldly. Everything in the old church was worldly. We couldn't chew bubble gum, couldn't have ears pierced, men couldn't have hair that got onto their collar. I couldn't take a suit jacket off and loosen my tie because that was world. Everything was worldly, but really, what it was was behavior modification. We were changing the outside, but we didn't ever deal with the impulses that was actually causing the problem in the first place. So we learned how to control the impulse, but they're still in us. And every now and then, if you don't learn to deal with what's inside of you, what's inside of you will eventually come out. Did you hear what Jesus said? What's in you is going to come out of you. And so you're in a conversation, and the heat starts going up on the conversation, and you have a whoopsie. And you say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, you did. You just didn't mean to say it out loud to that person. You meant to say it because it was in you. Had it never been in you, it couldn't have come out of you. Because it was in here, it eventually came out here so we spend a lot of time apologizing for things that we felt but didn't mean to say so what I want to help you with and what Jesus needs to help you with is to stop feeling away so you won't have to fight that way anymore could somebody give the Lord a hand clap so if you haven't dealt with what's on the inside you've modified the outside but you're still wrestling with this stuff Matthew 15 Verses 15 through 18, Peter said to Jesus, Explain to us the parable that says men are not defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked? Anything you eat passes through the stomach, and this gets a little gross, and then goes into the sewer. Verse 18 says, But the words you speak come from the heart. It didn't just pop into your head. It lives inside of you, and that is what defiles you. So your mouth and your mind are connected, and your words have power. Let me show you. Everybody close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything heinous to you, I promise. Close your eyes. I'm going to say a series of words, and just let your mind go, okay? Close your eyes. Listen to the next three things that come out of my mouth. Dog. Big dog. Mean dog. Okay, now open your eyes. How many of you pictured a dog? Was the dog that you pictured a dog that you know? Okay. How many of you pictured the same dog all three times and the dog just got bigger and meaner? Because they say that that's one way that people's minds work. How many of you saw three different dogs? Three different dogs. Okay. How many of you? They say real smart people do that. I shouldn't have told you that because now everybody's gonna say, "Oh, that's me." They say real smart people don't see a dog; they see the words "dog." Did anybody actually see a physical word? Okay. Nobody saw Snoop Dogg. Okay. That's okay. So, so I I listen listen to what just happened. You saw a dog because I said the word. Dog, so I have the power to put a picture in your head and change that picture all with my words. I put the picture there. I changed and modified that same picture. And I didn't do anything but speak to you. Do you see how your words have power now? So you need to lose your mind. You need to lose your mind specifically in a couple of areas let me help you first of all you need to lose your mind and I'm gonna start with one that I need to lose the mind that is full of self-doubt there are moms in this room who have never one day felt good enough you doubt yourself You doubt your abilities, you doubt the choices that you've made, and you have never one day had a relaxed moment where you felt like I was a good mom. There are people in this room that don't think they're smart enough, and every day they think to themselves and use their power of their words to diminish their intellect and say, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I did not have the right advantages. There are people in this room that will never feel skinny enough. And under the same roof are people that feel too skinny. All because of the way they think about themselves. There are people in this room that's never going to feel holy enough. And, you're going to, and you constantly listen to your voice in your head that says, How could God love somebody like me who did what I has done? You need to lose your mind. The second way you need to lose your mind is you need to lose the mind that worries. The day we live in, people shame you for not worrying. Have you noticed that? If you're not worried about the price of gas, if you're not worried about the government, if you're not worried about the virus, then people say you don't care, and they use this word, you're just selfish. No, I'm just not worried. I care about everybody. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a saved, born-again child of the king. I want everybody to go to heaven. I love everybody. I'm just not going to love you enough to make me afraid. See, you, see, they act like you shouldn't have peace in this world unless you just don't care about this world. But, but, the, but I, when I read my Bible, I find out that I should not live anxious. Worry is not something that's supposed to control my every move. You need to lose a mind that is addicted to being offended. Oh boy, 2022, here we come. How could you say that? You hurt my feelings. Why would you post that? I can't believe you would vote for so and so. I can't believe you don't stand up And fight like I stand up and fight. I'm going to give you some wisdom and drop some knowledge on you right now. Are you ready for this? The reason it is so hard for some people to stay happy is because it is so easy for them to stay offended. You cannot be both. And when you consider what most people are offended by, if you will stop getting involved in the argument and take a deep breath... And listen, I say this all the time. Probably I shouldn't say it from the pulpit because I I should probably only say it to my close inner circle. Because sometimes I, I say things that sound a lot cruder than I mean them to sound. But listen, whatever's in your head, say it out loud. And a lot of times when you hear yourself say it, you'll realize how stupid you sound. So when you listen to what people are offended by, If you will just stop being offended with them and listen to what they're offended by, it'll make you feel really dumb about ever being offended. Because, listen, in order for you to offend me, let me show you how this works. You have to do, say, or think something that I don't like. Which of those three things do I have any control over? Do I have control over what you do? What you say? or what you think exactly so for me to allow what goes on inside of your head and comes out of your mouth to rent space inside of my brain it ain't you I should be mad at I should be mad at this guy because I shouldn't let anything that you type and post anything that you believe anything that you say get me mad because just because you think it doesn't mean I have to adopt it somebody say amen Offense is an event that happens to you. Offended is a decision that you made. Jesus said you cannot live in this world and not have offense come at you. He said it's impossible. There's going to be offense. That's an event. Offended was a decision. You need to lose your mind. Number four, that is stress. My amens are getting fewer and fewer with every passing point. Have we ever been more stressed than we are today? Come on, church. Listen, our most popular pastime is stressing out now. It used to be baseball or fishing, but now it's stressing out. Okay? I'm stressed over my kids. I don't know what I'm going to do about my kids. I'm stressed. I'm stressed. I'm stressed over the school system, and they got to wear a mask, or they're not making them wear a mask. Can, Can... I'm going I'm to move on. I, I, I'm stressed over my bank account. I'm stressed over the, the cost of milk. I'm stressed over the cost of gas. I'm stressed about what I see on the news. How, how, how many of you are stressed because of the person you're sitting beside? No, don't raise your hand. That was a joke. Don't, don't do that. Some of y'all was like, yeah, me. No. Don't, don't do that to me. You're going to have a long ride home. Number five, you need to lose your mind that's stuck. I'm amazed at how many people complain these days about everything. Excuse me while I complain about the complainers. Because it amazes me. Sometimes I just go to headlines of, of, of articles, especially local stuff. And I just go in the comment section on Facebook just to know that what I think is true. And that is that people will complain about anything. Uh-huh. I will read the comments on stuff just to confirm what I already suspected. People can't do nothing without complaining. People complain in Weirton, West Virginia, that there's nowhere to eat. Then somebody posts that somebody opened up a new restaurant. You would think that the angels would strum harps The hallelujah chorus would break out and people would say, finally, a place to eat. Oh, no. Nay, nay. Everybody starts complaining because it's in their own part of town. Everybody starts complaining because they don't like the menu. Everybody starts complaining because the prices are too high. Everybody starts complaining because the hours are stupid and the lighting is too poor. Just a few weeks ago, They switched. (laughs) I shouldn't even be talking about this. There's a zoo in a local area that has a train. And that train's been running for a long time. And they switched the train. And you would have thought by reading the comments on Facebook that they started shooting animals. (laughs) The vitriol over changing the train was unbelievable. And the people that were commenting... Many of them don't even live in the area anymore. They're never coming back to ride that train. Some of them haven't ridden the train in 20 years. But how dare you take away a memory that I have by changing something today that I did 25 years ago. They complain about everything. And it's one thing to talk about the problems we have. But in this church, we try to give solutions so that you can deal with what's going on. Amen? That, that, that's my goal. I've never, been, I've never been one of these preachers just stand up and just rail at somebody or something or some agenda and then not give you a solution. So, having said that, what is stopping you from losing your mind? 1 hmm? Peter 5 and 8. Peter says, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Did you read that with me? You have an adversary. Do you see that? Your adversary. Look at your neighbor and say, that's yours. He, He has one job. To stand against you. To oppose you. Are you seeing this? I'm not making this up. This is straight out of the word. Notice Peter says that your battle starts Be sober, what? Minded. Your battle with your adversary starts in this six inch piece of real estate between your ears. It starts in your mind. I also want you to notice that he says that the devil is your adversary. I'm about to teach you something. You ready? He's not God's adversary. You know why he's not God's adversary because he knows something many of you have forgotten. That battle was over a long time ago. The devil is well aware that he does not stand in opposition to God because God didn't even do handle his own light work when he got ready to kick. Lucifer out of heaven. He didn't even do it himself. He sent an archangel over to grab the devil by the nape of his neck and the seat of his pants and toss him over the balcony of heaven and said, don't come back here because you're not welcome here anymore. The devil is well aware that he is not in opposition to God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 all the way back in the Garden of Eden what did he tell Eve? He said I will put enmity between you this is the devil, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So enmity, that word enmity means hatred. So he said, I have put hatred between the devil's seed and Mary's seed. Or, I'm sorry, Eve's seed. So in other words, you have hatred with the devil and the devil has hatred with you. So if you asked the devil who his enemy is, he would tell you that it's you. So if the devil is our enemy, what's God's enemy? Well, I'm glad you asked. Romans 8 and 7. The mind of the flesh, there's that word again, enmity means hatred. The mind of the flesh is hatred against God. James 4 and 4. The friendship of the world is hatred with God. Enmity. Do you know why? Because that's when you put the world ahead of your father. And he hates that. In other words, church, we struggle against Satan. God struggles with your thinking. We struggle against the devil. God struggles against our thinking. And that's why the devil always comes after your mind first. Because if he can get you thinking wrong thoughts, you will always be at odds, not with the devil, but with God. You will mess up your relationship, your right standing, your faith, your power with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You'll mess that up by thinking wrong thoughts. So the devil knows he can't separate you from the Father's love. So he has to mess with your thinking so that your mind will be at at war against God. Is this helping anybody? I I don't want to lose you already. As the great prophet Jerry Reed once said, i got a long way to go in a short time to get there. James 4 and 7. Gives us the remedy for this problem. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. What does that look like? Do you have to run up here and throw yourself on the altar and then go home all week and sit in sackcloth and ashes? Well, not exactly. Remember... This isn't about your outside appearance. This is about your mind. Right? Submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. And if you're going to submit yourself, you need to start where the devil starts. Peter said, be sober-minded. If you're going to go into war against the devil, he's your adversary. You need to get your mind right. Fix your thoughts. So we have to start with our brain. not with. A, listen, prayer is important. But you don't fight from a stance of prayer because you can pray for an hour a day and if your mind is wrong, you will still invite the devil into your bedroom. Y'all are going to help me. You can find yourself in church every Sunday, but if you never get your mind fixed, it won't do. You can speak in tongues. You can fall out on the floor. You can raise your hands and run the aisles and shout hallelujah. Elevation playlist all over your phone. You listen to nothing but preaching and soundtracks for meditation sounds. and, and You've got all of that, but if you don't fix your thoughts, your mind will always be engaged with the devil, and wherever your head goes, the rest of you will follow. I'm preaching better than you're shouting, but that's okay, because I understand. What does it look like? What does it look like to submit yourselves to God? You need to start with your mind. So if you're fighting worry, you need to submit your mind to God. How do we do that? We need to replace the thing that the devil put in our head with something that God puts in our head. When the devil tries to approach you with worry, you need to replace it with Philippians 4 and 8. Don't worry about anything. Instead, here's your option, pray about everything. Listen, you've got to learn how to unplug and plug the right things in. You need to unplug from the enemy's voices and plug into the wisdom that comes from this book. Don't just come to church and shout about a word, adopt a word, receive a word, believe a word, and most of all, live that word so that you can have a defense against your enemy. When he tries to get you to worry, say, uh-uh, Philippians 4 and 18 tells me don't worry about anything. Here's my option. But pray about everything. Make that your new truth. Because listen, if you're going to worry, don't pray. And if you're going to pray, don't worry. Because they cancel each other out. Hmm? The reason this doesn't work for so many of us is because he says submit yourselves to God and then what? Resi- what? Re- Oh, he didn't say assist the devil. He said resist the devil. And we got too many folks assisting the devil. When when everything goes wrong, we immediately default back to our place where he and I start saying the same words. Oh, y'all not going to help me now. I start saying the same words the devil says. I start talking in doubt and anxiety and fear and hatred and vitriol. You think you've done everything you can to fight the devil because you came to church on Sunday? Listen, you can can spend 15 years sitting uh, in in a relationship with with the devil, listening to him, obeying him, and and, and following his advice, and you think that you're going to come to the church one time, say one prayer, and just reset your mind? That's not the way it's... Listen to the word he uses. Resist. That doesn't mean you resist him one Sunday and it follows you the rest of your life. Every day, i got to resist the temptation to do something. Every day I have to resist the temptation to let my mind wander. Every day, every sometimes, every couple moments, I have to resist the devil. You can't give him an inch or he will consume the entirety of you. You have to resist, Uh, let me, can I just preach for just 30 seconds? Listen, you have to learn how to resist, not assist. No, devil, you can't have my marriage. No, devil, you can't have my children. No, devil, you can't have my sobriety. I've come too far to give you what God has been good to me with. No, you can't have it. That's resistance resisting waking up eight hours later after you have blacked out that was assisting him you didn't fight you gave in and the alternative to resisting him is staying stuck and this series is designed to challenge you in new ways to become totally disgruntled with your complacency I have come to upset you a little bit because You need to decide once and for all to stop allowing challenges that pop up in your life to stunt your growth and your progress. How many of you are honest enough, just just one time, honest enough to admit that the reason the enemy hasn't run from you yet is because you have resisted change more than you've resisted the enemy? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'll tell you that almost all the battles I find myself in are recycled versions of the same ones that I was in already. Have you ever been in the middle of an an argument on the inside of your own brain and thought to yourself, I've done this before. I have fought this already. How How many of you have fought something and said, I said I was going to change this. How many of you you have been in a fight with the enemy and said, I said that I was done with this. I was delivered from this. And here I am fighting this same old mess over and over and over. Why am I still stuck right here? I still have my mind. That's why. I've not taken the mind of Christ. I've got my mind that has been controlled by the enemy, and it tells me ridiculous things that I believe more than I believe the Word of God. For instance, I keep seeing people make decisions on how they feel about what's going on. Feelings in this generation are more important than wisdom. Makes no sense at all. Their feelings, if you're controlled by how you feel, that is evidence you have not lost your mind. Because I don't know when we started thinking we have to love everything. Listen. Everything that you love in life is going to have a part of the process that you don't like. There's going to be part of everything you love that's going to want to make you want to quit. Doesn't mean you don't love it it means it's a challenge i was talking to somebody a young person not long ago who says yeah i quit my job i just wasn't feeling it i said well was you feeling eaten next week go get a job so you can pay your bills You don't have to love everything all the time, you know? Because everything you love is going to have some parts to it that will never make it into a Hallmark card. Every marriage has some parts that we don't write Hallmark about. Every every relationship has some stuff that Hallmark don't even sell cards to address it. Every job you have will have some parts to it that you don't prefer. Every person that you love, every ministry that you get engaged in, every person you sit beside of in church, look right here, look right here. They're all going to have some parts to them that you do not prefer, that you're not particularly attracted to all the time. Not me. I love him. I can tell you've only been together for three weeks. Slow down. I love everything about him. Give it a minute. You're the same person I've seen. Your relationship status has changed on Facebook 14 times, so slow your roll. Jesus, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure, and he got so excited about the treasure, and he liked it so much that he went out and sold everything he had, and listen, he bought the ground, the field, so he could have the treasure. He bought the field to have the treasure. It didn't ever say he got excited about the field. He was excited about the treasure, but he had to take dirt and all. In order to have what he was excited about, he had to have some of the unlovely to go along with it. And he was so excited about keeping the treasure that he didn't mind the dirts. And even if you love your kids. There will be times that you will go on Google, adoption agencies near me. <laughs> Even if you love your spouse, there will be times that you will watch them sleep. And in your, and in your you, you'll, you'll wait, you'll, just look at this stupid self just laying there sleeping. And how does anybody even fall asleep that fast anyway? It's ridiculous that anybody can fall asleep. I could take his pillow and just smother him. And they would never know. And I don't know if his life insurance policy's paid up or not. Even things that you love is going to have some parts that's going to make you. Listen, even when I'm preaching, even while I'm standing in front of you, I've been going 47 minutes and three seconds. Even when I'm standing up here, there are times that I feel so anointed like this is what I was created to do. And then there are times that while I'm preaching, I'm tired of hearing myself talk. And it's a weird place to be because sometimes you're totally confident. You feel anointed. You feel like it's what you were called to do. And then you turn around and do the exact same thing but feel totally inadequate to do it. Some Sundays I feel like, man, that was really good. And some Sundays I say, man, I should really resign. And it's the same preacher. I put just as much effort into every single sermon. But what happens is you start to doubt what you were secure in. And it's the moment that you allow your mood to control your mind. Because your mood will not be in tune and match your mission but you've got to push through your mood because you've got something important to do. I don't always feel like loving, being lovingly and compassionate with my wife, but I've got an important role to play. I have to be her husband. I don't have a plan B. So I've got to push past my moods. Notice I didn't say push past her moods. Because believe it or not, what she is feeling shouldn't have any relevance on how I'm feeling anyway. That's why I need to lose my mind. I have to push through my moods when I want to strangle my children. I need to push through my mind when I want to strangle church members not that that's ever happened I'm talking about another preacher (laughs) See, (laughs) I didn't know that about them when I said I do well you did and now you're done (laughs) for a scriptural example think about when God led his people out of Egypt the Red Sea. Think about when God led his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Notice what I just said. Through the Red Sea. They didn't go over it. They didn't go around it. They went through the Red Sea. Not even on a boat. Not even on a, a carnival cruise, cruise liner. They weren't taking no, no, no holiday or a siesta. They went through it on foot. And you're going through something right now, every one of you. And I don't know what your state of mind is, why you're going through it, but here's what I need to teach you. Sometimes you aren't stuck in your situation. You're stuck in your state of mind. Uh, y'all looking at me like you don't believe me. Let, me. let me give you an example. Several years ago, I was in Cleveland, Tennessee for a conference where our journal headquarters is located. And... Cleveland does not have direct flights to Pittsburgh. You always have to go to either Memphis or Atlanta uh, for a connecting flight to go to Pittsburgh. So I, was, uh, I landed in Atlanta. It was Saturday night. It was late, and I was supposed to have like a 45-minute layover, land in Pittsburgh, and I'd be coming home getting ready to preach on, uh, on Sunday morning. And when I got there, they made the announcement that the crew had not had enough ground time. In other words, they hadn't been off the flight long enough. They needed, they needed several more hours. They were overbooked, had no other crews because it was late at night. So basically, we were going to be stuck in that airport all night long waiting for the crew to get their sleep so they could fly us back. So I was stuck in Atlanta. Why was I stuck in Atlanta? well technically because American Airlines goofed up but think about it another way this wasn't the first time i had been to Atlanta a couple of years before this we went to Atlanta by choice I went and preached in Atlanta while we were there we had a good time we ate good food I fished I hunted I killed pheasants and quails and shot boars and went deer hunting for a day and I caught big old bass out of a lake. I mean, I had a good experience in Atlanta because I chose to be there. But when I didn't choose and it wasn't on my schedule, I considered myself stuck in a place that I usually enjoy. Because it wasn't convenient because it wasn't on my schedule, because it showed up when I didn't want it to, in my mind, I was stuck in a place that I had willingly been to before. Let me drop this knowledge on you. It's how you think about a situation that defines where you are. If you feel like you're stuck in a marriage, it's not because of who you're married to. You are stuck in your brain. If you're stuck at a career, it's not because of your career choice. It's because you're stuck in your mind. I'm not saying there's not ways that you go and find another job. I'm not saying that there's not an excuse for you sometimes to put in a resignation and a notice and go find something else. But you, are, my friend, are not stuck because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And you need to get your mind out. I figure you all get stuck sometimes. And and, and see, we get stuck not always by the external circumstances. Sometimes stuck is a state of mind. Atlanta's a nice city, but being there wasn't my plan, and so I felt like I was stuck because I needed to get back so I could preach on Sunday morning. I was supposed to preach. You ever been stuck in supposed to? My kids were supposed to be saved. Hello. I was supposed to be married forever. I was I was supposed to be ready to retire by now. I was supposed to be a preacher. I was supposed to be a mother. I was supposed You ever get stuck in supposed to be? Over in Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites are coming out of Egypt. God delivered them because they had been slaves for 420 years. I don't even have time to preach this, but go back and read your Bible. And you'll find out that Pharaoh made them slaves in their mind. He never made them slaves by putting chains on their arms and legs. He made them slaves in their mind. So when they were slaves in their mind first... Even when he got them out physically, their minds were still stuck in slavery and they still acted and reacted like slaves. They resisted Moses because they would not resist the enemy. But if you, and it almost didn't happen because before Moses could resist the devil and resist Pharaoh, he had to resist his own thinking. In Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1, God showed up and asked Moses to go let his people go. And Moses said, I can't. And here's what he said. They won't listen to me. How do you know? You ain't even talked to them yet. I'm, I'm going to teach you something. I know, I know I've been preaching uh, 50 minutes already, but let, let's, let, let me teach you something. Because Moses just did what I do. Moses just did what a lot of you do. So let me, let me use him as an example to teach you a thing. Moses said, got a word from God, go tell them that I'm going to send my deliverer, which is you, and I'm going to let them go. He said, they won't listen to me. But he didn't even talked to them yet. Listen, it's one thing, rejection hurts. It hurts to be rejected. But this ain't even rejection. This is like prejection. <laughs> like you ain't even started yet. You ain't talked to nobody yet. How do you know what they're going to think about what you... Yeah. Well, I'm not going to tell them because this always happens to me. And my life just always turns out this way. And people are always against me. And nobody ever helps me. And I always get the short end of the stick. And mama always prefers their story over mine. And, and the boss always gives them the promotion. And I... Why are you talking yourself out of what God called you into? God called Moses to be the deliverer, and Moses, because he can't get, he hasn't lost his mind, he's trying to talk himself out of the discipline and the position that God called him into. When he finally gets him out, Pharaoh starts chasing him down. Pharaoh agreed to let him go. And then he changed his mind and started chasing them down. Here's the last point I'm going to make to you this, this morning. Proof of God's activity in your life will often be an increase of resistance. Pharaoh wouldn't let them go easy. I'll come back to that. Moses gets to the Red Sea. And now they're looking back at Pharaoh. And you can't go back from where you left. Listen, listen, this is exactly, I just feel the spirit. This is exactly where some of you are. You started going with God. You started following God. And you look back and you're like, I can't go back. I I can't can't go back. But you look at the Red Sea and you're like, what do I do with this? I can't go back, but I can't go over. God, that means I got to go. If I can't go back and I can't go over, that means I got to go through. And I feel like this is exactly where some of you are and why you haven't lost your mind and why you haven't mentally expelled the demons. Demons. You're like Moses. You say, I can't do that. Surely, I'm not. Mama never likes me the best. The boss always thinks so-and-so. You're already talking yourself out of it. You know you can't go back. You know you can't go over. So I'm just going to have to go through this. And it don't make no sense to go through something that I have no control over. And the people turns on Moses. And here's what they said. I don't have time to show you the scriptures or get into it. Go and read the story. They turn to Moses and they say, Moses, is this why you brought us out here? There weren't enough graves back in Egypt. You're going to let us be killed here by the Red Sea? And here's what they said. This is why when you came to us back in Egypt, we told you to leave us alone. But go back and read the story. I can't find where they ever said that. You know what happens when you get afraid? You fight your help. They got afraid because Pharaoh was chasing them down. They don't see how they can get over this Red Sea, and they start becoming afraid. And the one that was there to help them, they started fighting him. We told you to leave us in Egypt. No, you didn't. You was all about escaping. As a matter of fact, the Bible says for 420 years they cried out to God to be delivered. And when God finally shows up and answers your prayer, you want to run back? You want to die? Because it doesn't make sense to you. Go back and read the story and you'll find out Pharaoh came to his senses. He said, wait a minute. I just let something valuable go. And he started chasing the Hebrews down. God wanted them, and the devil wanted them. Both God and the devil saw something that neither Moses nor the Israelites saw. How valuable Moses said, I'm not valuable. I can't lead these people. They're not even going to listen to me. I I, 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 I have a stutter. Moses didn't see any value in himself. The Israelites saw no value in themselves. They said, oh, you just brought us out here so we could die in the wilderness? Do you know why Pharaoh started chasing, the enemy started chasing, the devil started chasing them? You don't chase something that's not valuable. He couldn't let them go because he knew he had lost something of great wealth. And the reason some of you have been chased down and defeated over and over and over is because the devil knows how valuable you are. He knows that when he loses you and he loses your mind and he can't control this real estate anymore that he has lost you and God sees how valuable you are and he's constantly pulling you and dragging you and sending words and sending worship songs and sending his spirit to get you to himself and, and you don't see any value. You don't see the wealth that's stored up inside of you. But I'm here to tell you the whole reason that you fight the devil like you do because the devil knows how valuable you are. you got to lose your mind so he can stop controlling your thoughts. Every battle that you're going through right now is tied to the way you think about it. You say, Pastor, my problem is my health and my body. I get that. I understand the pain. I understand the suffering. I understand the physical torment. But I've seen people on their deathbed praising the Lord. Because while their body was wracked in pain, their spirit and their mind was with the Spirit of God and free and rejoicing. Because it's how you think about a thing. I hope I've given you enough Scripture this morning to prove to you that this thing starts in your head. It starts in your head. And the reason the devil has not let some of you go is because he knows how valuable you are. Moses and, the, and, and them got to the Red Sea and they hear the hoof beats and the chariot wheels of Pharaoh coming. You had to, what is it going to take to get rid of this guy? This guy knew, I've lost something valuable. And that's what the devil thinks about you when he sees you sitting in church on Sunday. When he sees you praying by your bedside. When he hears the words of affirmation and encouragement coming out of your mouth, he has thrown all hell has against you. He thrown divorce at you. He's thrown sickness at you. He threw COVID at you. He, he's thrown uh, losing your job at you. He has thrown everything he has at you. And you show up here on Sunday morning with your hands raised and tears going down your cheek, talking about how good God is. And the devil says, Have you lost your mind? And you say, Yes, absolutely. That's how it got me here. I have lost my mind. absolutely I've lost my mind and I'm not going back if I have to go through it I'll go through it but I will not go back so every person under the sound of my voice this morning if this word has helped you stand to your feet If this word has encouraged you, somebody's about to lose their mind. See, we get caught up in church sometimes too, and we forget. Just shouting don't accomplish anything if we don't pray, and don't accomplish anything if we don't saying the right words and confessing the right things don't mean anything if we don't so I'm not going to have you do any of that I'm not going to have you walk, march around or fall out on the floor Cause we, you know what I found about church people you'll hide behind a shout to keep from doing the hard work of transformation just as goofy as I ever was just as bound as I ever was. Just as checked up, just as nasty, just as hateful, still living in sin, still having an affair in church on Sunday doing the chicken. Hateful, mean as a junkyard dog, ain't changed nothing. I danced. Paul says where you get all that stuff, Let's get right. See, that's the system of the world, and that's why he said you can't follow their system. Their system's broke. Be transformed by making up your mind. So every person in here, we're going to pray right now. We're all going to pray together. I don't want anybody to feel left out. Off. Need anybody to feel like you're the only one. So we're all going to pray together. I just want you to touch your head somewhere. You say, Pastor, that feels silly. Well, sometimes you got to. The Bible says, lay hands on the sick. My mind's sick sometimes. I don't know about anybody else, but sometimes I got a sick mind. Father, right now under the sound of my voice and watching on live stream, there are people whose mind is not their own. It's been dominated and controlled by their past, by their pain, by their enemy, by their circumstances, by their upbringing, by the choices that they have made and choices that other people have made. And God, today, I want to set them free by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and by this Word that I have preached. Set them free so that they can live in liberty. Set them free so that they can rejoice and know what they're shouting about. Set them free so when they read the Word, it is absorbed into their thoughts and they're able to use it as a sword against the enemy. They don't just quote scripture But God they use the word Because they live the word Set our minds on you Fix our thoughts that are broken Fix our thoughts that are tormented Fix our thoughts that are harmful to us Fix our thoughts that are stuck Fix our thoughts that make excuses Fix our thoughts That have caused us to feel like We're not good enough God in the name of your son Jesus we give you the glory and the honor and the praise because we've lost something here today but at the same time we've gained much more for as we lose our minds we gained our confidence we lose our minds but we gain our faith we lose our minds but we gain our inheritance and in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Has this word helped anybody this morning? Can you give the Lord a hand clap? Jesus came to set the captive free. And some of us are saved, but still not free. Sometimes we we feel like we just pray that one prayer of salvation and everything. No, 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 no. I've known a lot of saved folk with chains on. A lot of saved people with their foot in the quicksand. A lot of saved people who's going to make it to heaven when they die, but when they're living here on earth, living in a mess. Relevant faith says, I don't have to do that. I can have victory in Jesus' name because that's what he supplies. And if you believe that this morning, why don't you give the Lord a hand clap and pray. God bless you. Promise of victory. We love you.